Hello, and welcome back to my book review podcast, Unknown Friends. I'm Rochelle Ferguson from Kitty Wham Productions, and I'm delighted that you're taking the time to listen to this episode. If you've enjoyed my previous episodes, please consider subscribing, and even better, if you would rate or review the podcast, I would so appreciate it. The reason I am doing a podcast at all is to try to share something of value that I'm learning from books. So if you think others would enjoy and benefit from these episodes as well, please share with them and help spread the word. Now, this is episode five this week, and our book today is Kazuo Ishiguro's novel Never Let Me Go. Uh, arguably his best known work, along with The Remains of the Day. And Never Let Me Go was published not that long ago in 2005. Now, about the author. Ishiguro was born in 1954 in Japan. He and his family moved to the United Kingdom when he was just five years old, and he has lived there ever since. He's written several novels, as well as shorter fiction and screenplays, and he's won many awards for his writing, including the Booker Prize and the Nobel Prize in Literature. And Time Magazine also included Never Let Me Go in its list of the 100 best English novels published since 1923, when Time Magazine itself was created. So Ishiguro is... A pretty good writer, if I may use an extreme understatement, like he enjoys doing in his own books. Uh, I have only read two of his novels, but I do deeply admire his skill, both his writing style and his big picture storytelling. However, I will be straightforward. Never Let Me Go is a difficult book for me to know how to review or even whether to recommend. I am glad that I read it, but I would not recommend it to everyone. I'm discussing it today because it explores ideas worth discussing, whether you read the book or not. And since I imagine a few people would be interested in reading it, I want to share enough about it to help you identify whether you're one of those people. And it certainly has real valuable insights into life and relationships. Funnily enough, I feel like I have a curiously long history with this book, even though I just read it for the first time this spring. When I was in my teens and starting to get into writing, I began following a website by a team of authors created specifically for young writers um, the site is called Go Teen Writers, and it's still up and thriving. And uh, back in the day, they ran regular contests for teen writers, usually giving us the the spark of an idea, like a, a single sentence, and then contestants would write a paragraph or two continuing the idea in some way, as if they were writing the opening of a novel. And then a couple of guest judges would read all the entries, pick winners, and give everyone some feedback. So it was a fun exercise and very helpful, and I participated in several of these contests. And one time in May 2012, so eight years ago uh, exactly, 
I won first place with my entry. And I was totally elated, of course. I, I read and reread and reread the judges' comments, and I still have them. I, I know a few of you may be curious to read what I wrote, so I've posted the entry I won the contest with and the judges' comments um, on my blog on kittywamproductions.com, so you can read those there if you're inquisitive. But the reason I tell this story is to explain why I have this kind of fascination with Ishiguro's work. And that began with a comment one of the judges wrote about my writing. And I'm going to read you part of what she said here. She wrote, I absolutely loved this entry. It reminded me a bit of Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go, in that there's heartbreak just under the surface. In just a few words, the writer was able to create a world that made me curious while giving me reasons to both like and dislike the narrator. Great use of subtlety and understatement. Now, I doubt my writing today has much in common with Ishiguro's, uh, not to mention I'm currently a playwright and not a novelist, but as you might expect, as a 16-year-old, I was instantly intrigued by the idea that my writing had been compared to this famous author's. I had never heard of Ishiguro, actually, or the book Never Let Me Go, but I looked it up, and I don't remember why, maybe what I read about it gave me an inkling that it might not be super appropriate for a teen to read, but for whatever reason, I did not read it at the time, which I'm thankful for now. But I became interested in Kazuo Ishiguro again a year ago, when my sister Lorray recommended to me his earlier novel, The Remains of the Day, and I finally got a taste of his writing with that book. And then this year, I got a chance to read Never Let Me Go, and at long last, my eight-year curiosity about it was answered. It's a tricky novel to describe. It has been called science fiction, dystopian, horror, romance, coming of age, and it's also been said that the book defies genre classification, which I think is true. A coming of age novel seems the best description to me because the book is much gentler and seemingly dispassionate than any of those other terms would suggest. The story is set in England in the 1980s and 90s, but science has advanced a little bit beyond where we actually are. So that's where the science fiction element comes in. But I think I would call it alternate history sooner than sci-fi because sci-fi just brings such a different image to mind. Either way, the book is about three students, Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy, who grow up in a boarding school called Hailsham, and it follows their relationships through their school years and into their 20s as they part ways and eventually reunite, which sounds fairly ordinary and perhaps even bland, right? But that is Ishiguro being incredibly sneaky, as he is. Um, subtlety and understatement, just like that judge said of my little paragraph as well as the, the presence of heartbreak just under the surface. 
I don't know how well my contest entry merited those descriptions, but they are perfect to describe Ishiguro's work. He's not dramatic. He doesn't play your emotions. You wouldn't call his writing poetic or especially descriptive, but sentence by sentence, what he's doing is peeling back layer after tiny layer of human experience until he can glimpse the soul. And when he gets there, it's extraordinarily poignant. His revelations into human life are are well-earned and believable and profoundly tragic because he's laid his groundwork so carefully and unobtrusively. Really, this is Ishiguro's genius. He undersells himself. He restrains his words. He won't just come out and say when a character is feeling a strong emotion, but he gives you enough context and implies just enough that you figure out what's going on. His objective is to pull us inside the story so that we can feel with the characters without ever being told. That's why he doesn't uh, lavish descriptions on his readers or try to take them on an emotional roller coaster. He's he's more he's like the sculptor that rather than adding clay on top of clay to build a beautiful form, he's actually chipping away at rock to reveal the form that he can see underneath. So he never has to offer anything of his own, any commentary, any poetry. His whole novel is just a long chipping away until the only thing that remains is the form he wants to reveal. I don't know how he does that in words, in a story, but somehow you you come to understand what he wants to say without him ever saying it. And I think that's the brilliance of his writing. But I've talked a lot about the style of the book already without sharing much about the story itself. So Never Let Me Go is about these three students growing up together. But the the catch, the thing that makes people call the novel science fiction or dystopian is this. These kids and their peers are clones and they have been created for organ donation. Once they become adults, they have to start the process of donating their vital organs to save other people's lives, and usually after their third or fourth donation, they will die, or or they will complete, which is the euphemism used in the novel. Not so humdrum now, right? In fact, you're probably thinking, what on earth? Um, yes, it's weird, and it's grim, but Ishiguro uses this setup not to be weird, not even to say that much about science or medicine, but he does it to explore human questions in an isolated, intensified way. These clones usually only live to about 30, so the issues of what matters in life and how to deal with the approach of death are sharply magnified. They become inescapable issues. And with his unique approach, Ishiguro can explore so many issues, not only these. I mean, this book is 
asking hard questions, questions about mortality, about memory and hope, about deception, self-deception and the manipulation of others, about uh, friendship and romance and the strength as well as the frailty of both. Um, questions about communication and art, about education and family, and how we learn to relate to others and to understand the world around us, and just questions about what it means to be human. And while his fictional world, where we harvest organs from clones, is bizarre and appalling, at the heart of his story... You just have these three fully human characters wrestling with hope and fear and trying to understand themselves and others, just like all of us do. Only it's more urgent for them, which is the perfect reason to write a novel about them. So ultimately, Never Let Me Go is a meditation on human life, but life without God, which is what makes it such a tragedy. Uh, more on that in a minute. But while I strongly disagree with aspects of Kazuo Ishiguro's worldview, he does grasp some truths that I want to acknowledge. Probably what stands out to me the most about him as a writer, having read his two most famous novels now, is that he is fascinated by and highly perceptive of the tiny little things we humans do and say, or don't do and don't say, which hold enormous significance. The way friendships can be initiated or broken with just a look, or the way we can communicate our, our whole orientation toward a person by our body language, by, by one slight gesture, the way we stand when we're in a conversation, the look in our eyes, whether we smile or how we smile, a word or a pause or a laugh. We so often don't realize it, but we have this momentous power with every small action and word that we too often wield recklessly without having a clue how much is at stake. And Ishiguro is so insightful as to the ways this can play out, how we can miss chances of a lifetime and don't even notice they've slipped by. Until years later, perhaps, when we look back and the whole trajectory of our life suddenly clears in our vision and we can trace our current position back to that day we uh, made a joke at someone's expense and somehow a relationship decayed from that moment. Ishiguro brilliantly illuminates this kind of realization with such delicacy. It's, it's one more thing that makes him famous for his subtlety and for the way he communicates that sense of heartbreak just under the surface of his words. And he knows the exact moment for a sudden glimpse into the depths of that heartbreak. It's hopelessly powerful and disturbing the way he shows how easy it is to turn your life in a moment and not even realize it until years later. That's the scariest part, because if you don't realize what you've done, it's nigh impossible to undo it. What fascinates me, too, is 
how often these realizations and turning points Ishiguro portrays do not rely on words. Like I mentioned, it's often body language and timing that hold the most significance, which is so interesting. And I think he's making a point about unspoken communication. Just like with his understated writing style, he doesn't often explicitly tell you what the characters think or feel, in part because you just can't put those things into words sometimes. Words almost uh, cheapen those experiences. Terms like fear or desire are just too familiar, too transparent to express the fullness of the emotions they represent. So in the same way, his characters can't seem to communicate as effectively with words as they can with looks or touches or sometimes silence itself. To try to demonstrate what I mean, I want to describe the scene most closely connected to the book's title, Never Let Me Go. So Kathy, the narrator and main character, tells this whole story looking back on her life, tracing her childhood at the boarding school Hailsham with her friends Ruth and Tommy through their teenage years and eventually their 20s when they separate and Ruth and Tommy first begin their organ donations. But in the first part of the book, when Kathy is just a girl, she acquires a cassette tape of music and her favorite song on it is called Never Let Me Go. She doesn't really understand what the song is about, but she imagines a story for it. So the chorus goes, baby, baby, never let me go. And what Kathy pictures is that it's about a woman who was told she couldn't have children, but eventually did have a baby, and she's holding the baby and fearing that she might lose it somehow. So she's clinging to it and singing this song, baby, never let me go. And Kathy listens to this song over and over. And one time when she's alone in her dorm, listening to the song and imagining this story, she is holding a pillow and sort of dances to the song quietly. And it's at that moment that one of the women in charge of the school catches sight of Kathy through the open door and no words are exchanged. The woman doesn't know what's going on in Kathy's mind, but she hears the song and sees this little girl and tears come to her eyes and she just stands there for a minute crying and thinking about the life that she knows awaits Kathy. So no words, no commentary from Ishiguro spelling out the tragedy inherent in the moment, but it's one of several such poignant images in the novel that stick with you and make your heart ache. And since I brought up Kathy's imagination, I want to reflect on one other theme Ishiguro is exploring in this novel. It's very complex and difficult to summarize, but essentially he reveals the games we play with ourselves and with others, the ways we deceive and manipulate one another. And in a, in a broader sense, he suggests that we live not on the reality of this moment, but more on memories of the past 
and fantasies of the future. So, so first, quickly, the theme of manipulation comes through most clearly with Kathy's best friend, Ruth. Her character alone is a profound commentary on human nature. She can be such a sympathetic, encouraging friend to Kathy at times, and yet the next day she's controlling and perfectly willing to betray Kathy's confidence. And yet you do pity Ruth, especially by the end of the novel, and and she does try to acknowledge truth and seek reconciliation with Kathy eventually, though still in kind of a controlling way, which is interesting. Anyway, but beneath, as well as beyond Ruth's character, there's still this trend in the story that the characters build their lives on lies, on unrealities. At first, the children at Hailsham are sheltered from truth. They're they're vaguely told about the fate that awaits them as clones, but by and large, the reality of it is veiled from them. Instead, uh, among themselves, as they grow up, they let themselves nurture dreams about what they want to be when they grow up and the lives they hope to live, even though, in a sense, they, they know subliminally that those dreams aren't possible. But they cherish these fantasies. And then when they grow up, of course, the story itself is is Kathy narrating her memories, and you see very early on that once they're adults and they're starting to face the realities of what they're destined for as clones, i.e. Uh, donating their organs and eventually dying young, at this adult stage of life, they start to look backward rather than forward, and they try to live in the past in memory and find comfort there since their fantasies of the future have failed them. But in each stage, whether as children or as adults, these characters tend to avoid really dwelling in the present. And I think it's because in a world without God, anything good is tinged with tragedy because it will inevitably be lost. If you don't believe in eternity, then the present is difficult to cope with. Of course, it's never satisfactory without God, but it's also almost a taunt if you believe death is a final end. C.S. Lewis says that the present is the point in time most like eternity because it alone is real and alive. But the present moment is always fleeting. So if you don't believe that it is a touchstone to eternity, it is going to be endlessly frustrating. So even when Ishiguro's characters experience something good and and try to savor the present moment, there's always an underlying sadness because they see their lives as a timeline with a definite cutoff and no hope beyond so the very goodness of a of a present experience prompts grief because in their minds it can't last. So all the characters are left with is memory, dwelling on positive experiences in the past and false hope, indulging in in dreams of future possibilities even when they know deep down that 
the dreams are truly impossible. But without belief in eternity, living in the past and the fantasized future is their only attempt to transcend the tragedy of their lives, the pain of their own mortality. It's their attempt to extend beyond themselves without involving the divine. Now, as you can imagine, reading this book left me feeling a longing for God and a deep ache for those who don't know him, who don't have true and and living hope in him. You can also start to see why it's hard for me to review Never Let Me Go. It's a moving story and portrays a great deal of truth about how people tend to live their lives, and it's unspeakably sad. Now, personally, I am not sorry that I read it. It certainly gave me a lot to think about, but I don't know that I'd exactly recommend it. I know for certain that I would not recommend it for teens or younger readers. Obviously, it's heavy, and it also has some mature content. I I wouldn't... I don't think I would call anything in the novel uh, obscene or graphic, but there are frequent and sometimes specific references to things that I don't think it's helpful to dwell on, especially at a younger age. Even for myself, while books like this have some value, uh, few and far between, I have no desire to fill my mind with them. So, of course, people mature at different speeds, but... If I were talking to myself in high school or even early college, I would just say, don't bother reading it right now. If, on the other hand, you're an adult and a restrained, poignant tragedy exploring thought-provoking philosophical and psychological questions sounds appealing, then to you I recommend it. Otherwise, there are plenty of other excellent books out there and... Never Let Me Go need not be high on your reading list. Either way, I hope this discussion of the book's style and themes has been interesting and informative. And if you've read any of Ishiguro's works, I'd love to hear your thoughts on his writing. You can message me on Facebook or Instagram, or send me an email at kittywam at gmail.com. Next week on the podcast, I have a special episode planned featuring a couple works of Christian nonfiction I've recently read. So it's it's kind of a double episode. We'll be looking at A Praying Life by Paul Miller and Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. Two excellent books about prayer and personal Bible study. So I hope you tune in next time to hear some more details about those. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and have a great week.